Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Organ and Tissue Donation in partnership with Donate Life. I'm your host, Michael Billings, and my guest today is Michelle Skinner. Michelle hasn't received a transplant and she's not the family member of a donor. Michelle actually works for Donate Life and does an amazing job that we'll be talking about during our chat. But before I get to that, I just want to remind you that I do this podcast in the hope that after listening, you'll do two things. Sign up to become an organ donor at donatelife.gov.au and talk to your family about your desire to be an organ donor. Both those things are just as important as each other and just one organ or tissue donor can transform the lives of many people. I'll remind you at the end of the episode, but for now, here's Michelle Skinner, the Donor Family Support Coordinator for Donate Life. Michelle, thank you for joining us on the podcast. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Thanks, Michael. Now, Donate Life Support Coordinator, what does that mean? When somebody, um, uh, when a family is generous enough to consider organ donation at the time of their loved one's death, then what happens is that 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 happens in the hospital setting with our uh, nurses and our doctors and then once the donation has happened then the nurses hand over the information to me regarding who the family were and um, you know who who was involved and who I should contact so my role is to follow up with all Victorian donor families and just check in with them, see if they have any questions about the donation process, but also find out what sort of support they've got and what I need to do to help them with that. So that might involve um, ongoing contact for years or it might be you know, just a few times that I talk to them. My background is in grief counselling, so I can provide that if that's what they need or I can refer them uh, to someone else. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about your background. You said that it's in grief counselling. Uh, what were you doing before Donate Life? I worked for the coroner, so the Victorian State Coroner's Office. Um, I worked for the coroner for about eight years, and in that role I was um, worked in their family support service that doesn't exist anymore. They've got a sort of a slightly different service and I managed that service for a while as well. You're dealing with a, a sort of a, a lot more deaths at the coroner's court. Sort of, there's you know between five and six thousand deaths that are reported to the coroner every year. And it was similar though, where we would be um, talking to people about why their persons at the coroner's court, what you know they needed to do to get information, and then we would also provide counselling. In that role, um, I also assisted families to identify the deceased and uh, sometimes families would just come in to view their person. It sounds like you seek out really difficult jobs. <laughs> it, I guess it's more, um, it seems difficult from the outside, I think, but it, it's more about finding what's sort of what works for you. I know that bef- like before I worked for the coroner, the sorts of roles that I was in were things like, um, like I worked in child protection for quite a few years. I worked as a drug and alcohol counsellor, worked with people with intellectual disabilities. And I think when I came to the coroner's court, I just felt like this was a space that suited me. It sort of sounds odd, I know, but it the worst has happened in these situations. 
you're not trying to get someone to, um, you're not supporting people to change their life or to, um, you know, you haven't got sort of, I think working in child protection was a much more challenging role. If you do this well, you're helping people through the worst time of their life and that, you know, as cliched as it sounds, is quite um, a rewarding position to be in and quite a privileged position. Doesn't sound like a cliche at all. It sounds like you do amazing work. Well, I don't know about that, but I do try. Yeah, so it is. It just it just sort of suits me, and I think part of the the part of what works for me is that I just found out that I wasn't one of those people that was uncomfortable with death. And I don't think I, I really would have known that before I started working at the coroner's court. I'd seen a lot of awful things. I'd read a lot of awful things. I'd seen a lot of terrible files and some shattered lives in the work I'd done before. But I think that some people are comfortable around death and, and also around um, people that have died. So I don't know. It just It's not that it didn't bother me so much, is it? I just found it fascinating, but also sort of a special, sacred place to be. It sounds like you really liked your job you had at the coroner's. How did you end up at Donate Life? Well, there was an enormous amount of work at the coroner's court, and it is all one way. So there's, you know, of course, anybody I'm talking to, there's no happy endings. I'm talking to them because the death has occurred. And I suppose after, um, after all that time there, one of the things that attracted me to Donate Life and to organ donation was that there is a happy ending for some people, not for the people that I'm talking to, but certainly the work that we do in Donate Life means that somebody out there is receiving a heart transplant or a kidney transplant. It makes a massive and positive difference to people's lives. It's huge. Um, not just to those that receive the transplant, but to their families and friends. So there's this huge ripple effect. And I think I just got to the point where I needed that positive outcome as well as um, dealing with the the tragedy that is um, often a sudden and unexpected death. And the other thing that I found with families who donate is that organ donation can quite often quite often make a what appears to be a random death. So somebody who has been perfectly well and they suddenly have a bleed on the brain or they have a fall or an accident of some sort, it can make something so random at least feel as though there is some meaning. It helps people to find meaning in the death, helps them to process what's happening. Would you say that something positive coming out of a loss, like saving someone's life through organ donorship, can help someone through the grieving process? Like, it's obviously awful that this happened to me, but I guess silver lining is that uh, this kidney went to this mother or this heart went to this child, something like that? For some families, that's definitely the case. And we hear that, I hear that from people all the time. They say, we're so glad he was able to help others because this is the only positive in what is otherwise completely tragic. So it certainly does provide comfort. It doesn't take away the grief. I wish it did. Um, Nothing can do that. But it does, um, it sits alongside the grief, uh, as you say, as something 
something positive. What does a common day look like in your role at Donate Life? Well, I'll look at um, a system that provides me with the um, information about what's happened at the hospital. So I look through that information and see sort of who's there and who, and I put some some of that information into my own system. So I've got a confidential system where I record the discussions I have with the families I speak to. So I'll look through that. Um, then at some point throughout the day, I'll get, you know, what are called handovers from our nurses. So our nurses contact, then they, you know, talk to me about who this person was, how they died, who was involved in relation to the family, who was at the consent, any impressions that they might have. They might say, look, I'm particularly worried about his partner or, I'm what they're, or the, the family are worried about how they're going to talk to the children. And I'm, I take all of that information into account when I contact the family so that I'm as well prepared as I can be in you know, what I might need to do to assist them. The other part of the day will be me contacting families and those contacts can be, you can't sort of time them, I suppose. I can't say that I know I'm going to be on the phone with a family for 10 or 15 minutes because some people I will be, other people it might be an hour. It depends on what comes up in that first conversation. And then even if people feel like, oh, no, you know, you get sort of stoic people, particularly um, I think men, uh, often quite stoic. No, I'll be right, love. You know, I, I I always say to them, do you mind if I give you another call in a in a month or so and just check in on you and see how you're travelling? And I think that um, and almost everybody says yes because sometimes people are particularly of a certain generation are uncomfortable with the idea of counselling. And I suppose um, what they realise, I hope, when they talk to me is that it's a safe place for them. It's a place that they can talk about their feelings and their person and say anything they want to um, without judgment and I can give them some strategies to help them get through the day. Is the grieving process different for a donor family than it is for someone who has suffered a loss or someone that you might have experienced at the coroner's or are they largely the same? It's largely the same. So there is the added element of the fact that this family, one of the things that might be significant for a donor family is the fact that there are people out there who they now have this abstract relationship with. So there's somebody out there who's received my daughter's liver and they they know about this. They've received a letter to say that this person was helped so there's this sort of, but they don't know who that person is. There's this sort of abstract, strange relationship that they have. For some people, they're very pragmatic about that. We did this because this is what our person wanted. Um, we don't need to know any information. And other people seek to have an ongoing relationship of some sort. And that's um, a complicated area that you wouldn't find in a death and a grief situation where donation wasn't a part of it. Um, Having said that, when I worked for the coroner, uh, there's a lot of people involved at the end of someone's life. So there might be police, um, hospital staff, ambulance people, 
the courts might be involved, um, forensic pathology. There's lots of different people that intersect with somebody when someone dies unexpectedly in particular. And all of those people can become a focus for somebody in grief. So they might become, you know, they're, they're grieving and in addition to that they might be worried about a police, police investigation that's happening. So I suppose we're just another thing that can happen at someone's end of life. We're a normal part of end of life process now. So when someone dies in a way where they can donate, um, they will be spoken to about donation and given really good, clear information so that they can make a decision. But being one of those agencies that are involved means that we have a duty of care for those people that have those discussions. So I don't know if I really answered the question there, but, yeah, it's not so... um, The grief process is the grief process. It's different for every person. And um, although donation does influence it, it doesn't have a negative or positive impact necessarily. You mentioned before this abstract relationship that these two families might now have. Now, I know it's anonymous and it's super secretive. Uh, There's no, your partner's kidney went to this person. You might be told it went to a young girl or a mother or something, but there's no specifics. Even while doing this podcast, I've had to be vague on timelines at times because we don't want people piecing together where things went. Now, I know they allow some correspondence as long as it's been vetted by you guys between the two families. Can you tell us a bit about that program? It is an anonymous process in most parts of the world, um, and uh, that's the case in Australia. The laws and sort of the legislation and the policies apply to us, the doctors and nurses involved, so the medical staff. They don't actually apply to the families or the recipients. So people do find each other using various methods and social media, I suppose, things like that. Um, but those, the, we're prohibited from exchanging any identifying information. So um, when somebody writes a letter, they can't put names or you know anything that might identify who this person is. You can say a lot about a person, though, without putting those details in there. So somebody um, who, you know, whose son has died and donated might want to write and say, this is the sort of person he was. But if they said that, you know, he um, won a silver medal in the something Olympics in shot put, then that would be considered identifying. So that wouldn't be able to be passed on. So it is this sort of strange world where people do exchange these letters back and forth. Some people write once. Some people never write at all. Um, It's a good thing, in my experience, for donor families to receive a letter from a transplant recipient. It does acknowledge in a real way the decision that they've made. So it's really, you know, I think probably 99.9% of the people that I've contacted and said, we have a letter from... Jane's heart recipient, would you like me to send it on? They'll say yes, and they'll be really pleased about that. It can be confronting to hear about how well someone is and to hear about what's going on in their life when your person has died, but it's not 
necessarily a negative thing. So sometimes people avoid doing things because they're worried about the, you know, that they'll make matters worse, they'll hurt someone in some way. The fact that people have feelings about things doesn't mean it should be avoided. So most people really appreciate receiving a letter saying from someone saying, you know, thank you, this has changed my life. And they, it, I guess it makes it more real for them. It, it confirms their decision. Oh, yes, this has really helped someone. I did the right thing. Obviously, you've got your rules in place for identifying, as you said, but what are your thoughts on when organ recipients and donor families do find each other online? Do you think it's a good thing or a bad thing, or do you encourage it at all? Yes, so I am actually fairly neutral about it. um, I'm not a donor family, and I'm not a recipient. And although I've talked to thousands of people at this stage, because I've been with Donate Life for 10 years now, I do... I think that um, the the people that I know, so the donor families that have said to me, I've met so-and-so, it seems to have worked out okay with them. It can get messy, of course. You might meet someone and you just don't like them. You know, they just, you don't feel the connection you thought you would. So it, it can get messy. You might meet somebody and one side of the equation wants more contact than the other does and it's pretty difficult to say no to someone if they've their decision has saved your life so i suppose it just it can be a bit complicated having said that i think that if people you know they're they're adults if they're informed of what can and can't go wrong uh, and they make Um, the decision to try and find each other and they do, then that is what it is. You know, I don't know of any situation where it's caused a lot of harm. Having said that, it doesn't happen a lot. So, and it's the same around the world. The research that's out there in relation to direct contact is fairly limited and the sample sizes of that research, that's also fairly limited. This has been a really insightful chat and I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. I'm going to ask you one more question that I ask of everyone who comes on it. What would you say to someone who was unsure or considering signing up to be an organ donor? I think that, um, obviously, I think that organ donation makes a massive difference to people's lives, that the donation process is conducted in a respectful and caring manner that they will be well looked after and their person will be well looked after. I do think that um, probably one of the most important things to do is to learn about, um, inform yourself. So we have a website and there's a whole lot of information on there. And I also think it's really important to talk to your family about it. Because what we know is that for those that are left behind, that are the decision makers ultimately in this situation, all of the families that know what their person wanted feel very comfortable about making that decision. Even if it's something that they're not, you know, I've heard families say, um, you, you know, I, I'm not really comfortable with donation, but this is what he wanted, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, but the majority of people where they've had that discussion 
they're comfortable with it and, um, and it's a good thing for everyone. Michelle Skinner, the Donor Family Support Coordinator at Donate Life, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast and for the amazing work you do every day. No problem. Thanks, Michael. What an amazing woman who helps people who are going through probably the darkest period of their lives. She's just one of the legends at Donate Life. Now that you know the process a little better, maybe you'd like to go to donatelife.gov.au and sign up to become an organ donor and also talk to your family about your wishes. If you enjoyed the podcast, then give it a review or a rating, maybe even share it on your social media. I hope it swayed you to sign up to become an organ donor. If you did sign up after hearing this, or you've got any questions or comments about the podcast, drop me a line, donatelifepodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. On the next episode, my guest will be John Lowe. John's wife Louise passed away from a brain aneurysm, but because they discussed organ donation, John knew exactly what Louise wanted to happen. The number of lives she saved and enhanced through donation is absolutely staggering. I hope you'll join me and I hope you'll make the decision to donate life.